praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. Now today, like all days that we gather together on the Lord's Day, we have great reason to praise the Lord. Jesus has risen from the dead. He has loved us and saved us. He's brought us here safely today. We have a lot of reason to celebrate and praise the Lord just for those things. But this morning, we also have some other things to praise the Lord for and to celebrate. Over the last couple of weeks, we have had some uh, individuals graduate from various stages of their educational process. We have graduation coming up the end of this week for Marion County. So we're kind of right in the middle of this whole big graduation time. And we want to take a little uh, moment today to recognize the graduates who are part of our church family here in one way or another and just celebrate with them. It's good to praise the Lord for the accomplishments that he has allowed them to do, the way he has blessed them in these various things. And so today we want to recognize uh, a couple graduates that we have, actually more than a few uh, this this year. Our first is we rec want to recognize Caleb Zook, who I don't see this morning is here, but he's graduated from sixth grade. And so he's moving into the next stage of his uh, educational journey, making the cross uh, the big hall at Marion, Marion County. If that <laughs> so that's uh, great for him. Congratulate him when you, when you see him. And we have a, a card for him uh, and a gift from the church. And so we'll make sure he gets that. We also have some high school graduates who have ended that stage of their educational process or moving into the next stage of life. And we have two that are part of our church family that we want to recognize this year. The first is Sam Bridgman. Sam, if you would come this morning. Sam's been part of our youth group uh, every week. Faithful guy. And Casey, you can make your way up here too. And so we want to recognize both of them. Sam, we have a card for you. We just want to say congratulations. This is a great accomplishment. We're excited for your next stage of life. And uh, we're glad you've been part of our church family and our youth group for so long. Thank you. Awesome. Congrats, buddy. Thank you. Awesome. Casey, same to you, my friend. Congratulations. We're proud of you. A card and a gift for you as well. And good luck on your next stage. We're going to miss this guy. He's, he's moving away and he's going to leave a hole in all our hearts. But we're proud of you, and you've got great things ahead of you. Congrats again, Sam, Casey. We're proud of both of you guys. You know, it's, mixed, it's, it's always a mixed feeling, right, when you celebrate a high school graduation, because these young men are both very smart, very talented, have great things ahead. That for both of them means heading off to college and then into to careers, and, and likely away from us here. And so we, we are sad at that loss, but we're also excited at what lies ahead. And we know God has great things for both of you guys as you follow him in this next stage. We have some others who have finished that next stage that we also want to recognize this morning. We have several who have graduated from college that are part of our church family as well. And so we want to recognize those. And the names get a little smaller because we actually have four to recognize today. We have Grace Bridgman, Kinley Hathaway, Peyton Hayes, and Rager Plunkett. If all four of you would come up this morning. You all have done a lot of hard work, and you're all done now. All of you have already graduated, right? And you, you so no, nothing else to do for at least a few more weeks until the next stage. But Grace, we're proud of you. Thank you so much for all of your hard work. We, you're part of our women's ministry. She's here every week, and uh, we're, we're glad for that, or every other week, I guess. Um, but we're glad that you're part of our church family. Congratulations on all your hard work. 
Peyton, you too have finished up your uh, associate's degree and on to the next thing. And uh, we're excited for the journey that you have. We're proud of you. A lot of hard work, I know. And uh, you take a little breath before you head to the next, the next stage, right? Yep. yep. <laughs> but we're proud of you. Good job as well. And Kinley, you too have graduated just, just a few yep. days ago. Yes. Awesome. And I know you've had a lot of hard work at this. She has, over the last, if, you, if you've kind of been part of our church family, you know she did a lot of extra coursework in this last semester to try and get this thing done, and she handled it so amazingly, and we're proud of you, and congratulations on finishing that degree. And finally, Rager, congratulations to you too, my friend. This guy has not only finished, got his degree, he's already into the workforce. One of just a few students who was hired out of his program into a, a local position, and we're proud of him and the hard work. He's been going at it for a couple of weeks already and doing a wonderful job, and uh, we're excited to see what the Lord has for your future as well. Congratulations. Awesome. And we have two more graduates to celebrate this morning. One of them knows we're celebrating them, the other one doesn't. So uh, if Randy Lee and Reed would both come, they have both finished their graduate degrees, both finished masters in their various fields, education and in counseling. And we want to recognize them and all of their hard work as well. Randy Lee's first. You have had uh, quite a year, congratulations. You, uh, it's more than a year, really. So. Uh, you, didn't go right into your program that we were talking this morning so she could plan a wedding, which makes sense. That's a, that's a busy time. Then decides to start her program while she starts her family. And here we are two kids later and a new job working as a school counselor. You've done quite a lot and you've accomplished quite a lot and we're very proud of all your hard work. Congratulations on finishing that up. Reed went pretty much right into your program, but also did it while starting your family. Congratulations on finishing that up. And then Stephanie had to, you know, upstage all this. Like, I'm giving you a little card. She's giving you this amazing kid. I'm like, you know, what's that about? The card's nice, but he doesn't really care at all. But congratulations on finishing up your degree. And uh, we're looking forward to what God has for both of you in the future. We know he's going to do great things with you guys. Congratulations. These are great things to celebrate, great reasons for us to praise the Lord. He's, he's not only blessed us with uh, an amazing church family, but in this church family, he has blessed the members of it so richly. And so we're just glad that we get an opportunity to recognize them and to celebrate today. And I'd like for us to just pray together for them. We're going to pray for the graduates. We're going to pray for our church. So would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for each one of these individuals that we have recognized and celebrated today. God, as, as proud as we are of them, we know that they could accomplish nothing apart from your love and grace. And so ultimately, we praise you that you have so richly and kindly blessed them. And along every stage of the journey that you have led them on, you've been right there with them, Lord. And we know that in the future, that will continue, Lord. You will guide them in the next steps, if that's further education or new jobs or digging deeper into the careers that you've already blessed them with, Lord. We know that your hand will rest upon each and every one of them, every single step they take wherever they may go. And so, Lord, we just pray your richest blessings upon them. We thank you for their lives. We thank you for the way that they uh, bless us, Lord, as being part of this church body and these communities here, Lord. And we just thank you that you have been so kind to them and so kind to us to let us have a part in their life. 
Lord, we thank you for the chance to gather together to celebrate like this this morning, to worship you this morning. Ultimately, Lord, you are the reason that we have come together. You are the one whom our hearts desire to worship and long to be near. And so, Lord, in the rest of this service this morning, we just pray as we lift our voices to sing that, that our hearts and our affections would be stirred for you, that as we hear you speak to us through your word, that that would be personal to us, Lord. You would open our ears to hear, our hearts to understand what it is you are communicating to us. We ask, Lord, that this whole day would be filled with your presence, you, the God whom we love, the God who blesses so richly. Lord, we thank you for the chance to be here. And as we turn our hearts to worship you, Lord, we pray this would be beautiful and pleasing and acceptable in your sight. It's in your beautiful, powerful name we pray, Lord Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. 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 This morning, I'll invite the worship team to come. They're going to lead us in worship. And choir, you're going to join us for the first song. Uh, I don't know if Wendy let you know, but uh, come on up. We're going to sing this morning in worship, and I'll invite the rest of us to stand as well. This first song, if you've been around our church uh, for any length of time, you've heard us sing it before, Perfect Peace. And we are going to worship the Lord and ask him to give us that wonderful gift that he so often does bless us with. Peace in the midst of everything life has in store for us. Let's worship the Lord. All right, let's turn to the book of Exodus this morning. We're going to continue in our series, and the title of the message this morning is called Disappointments and Difficulties. Disappointments and Difficulties. If you have your Bible, turn to the end of chapter 4. You should be on page 55, I think, in the Pew Bibles. The end of Exodus chapter 4, we're going to pick it up, and then we're going to get through the fifth chapter in the book of Exodus this morning. If you were not here last week or you haven't listened to that message yet, let me catch us up to where we are in the story. God has sent Moses from the burning bush. He's told Moses, here's the command, Moses, go and tell the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, my decree is that he should let my people go from Egypt. And Moses, as we've looked at in the text, he objects multiple times. He's got excuses. He hopes we'll get him out of this difficult, he knows humanly it's an impossible task that God is sending him on. This idea of liberating an entire nation from the most powerful tyrant upon earth at that time. Moses objects and pushes back against God. And in the end, God's anger is stirred up towards Moses, his disbelief, his disobedience. And so God tells Moses, no, you will go and your brother Aaron will come, and Aaron will speak with you, and, and you will perform the signs, Moses. And in the end, Moses obeys. He goes. He meets Aaron. They travel to the elders of Israel. And look at verse 29 at the end of chapter 4. Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that Yahweh had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and when they heard that Yahweh had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. And this brief section, following the, the really detailed account that we have walked through of the dialogue between Moses and God, and then Moses' journey back, this here is just this really brief and simple direct explanation of what happens. The message goes to the, to the elders of Israel. The people believed, which led to the proper response in them. They bowed their heads and worshiped. So with this experience, what, what this says here is what God said would happen, happened, just, just like he promised, right? And so this experience here should give a confidence that God's word is true, right? As we said last week, he's never wrong. He, he never says something uh, will come to pass, and then there's a risk. It may or may not know he's for sure with what the future holds because he holds the future. And so with this 
setup, here we move into chapter 5. It's at least a few days, maybe, maybe even a couple of weeks later, but we read afterward, after the people believed and worshipped God, afterwards Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now, the first thing that God had told Moses would come to pass came to pass, just as he said. The people of Israel will believe, and Moses saw they did. Now, the second thing God had said about this whole journey was that Pharaoh will not listen. He will not obey the command until God's mighty hand forces him to. And that comes to pass, just as God said. So when Moses and Aaron get to Pharaoh, they've already been told, here's the response to what you are going to say. The response of Pharaoh should have been what they expected, right? Pharaoh rejects their words. I do not know Yahweh. I will not let Israel go. Now look at the difference here between Pharaoh and Moses. Remember, Moses at the burning bush, he'd asked, who are you, God? Because he wanted to know. He wanted to know the God who could create a bush that burned without being consumed, a God whose very presence makes the ground in the wilderness holy ground. But Pharaoh here, he doesn't know who Yahweh is, and he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to obey this God who would come and give him a command that he doesn't like. He doesn't want to hear any more about him. Pharaoh, who believes himself to be divine by virtue of being the king of Egypt, simply refuses to hear and obey Yahweh. So Moses and Aaron reply to Pharaoh's disbelief and disobedience in verse 3. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. So they repeat the request to Pharaoh in this kind of negotiation that's taking place. But in this statement, they're asking the question in such a way that if you're looking at what his response is here in a moment, you will see just how hard, just how opposed to God's rule Pharaoh really is. I mean, obviously, Pharaoh doesn't want to lose a slave labor force that's able to build cities for him. But it was not uncommon in that day to grant a request like this, a small reprieve from work, from labor, for even slave peoples to go off and to worship their gods. In fact, we actually have archaeological items that have been uncovered from this part of history, this period of time, and there's clearly inscribed notes about slaves who were let go for days to go off and worship their gods and then come back to their labor. The pharaohs did this. They granted this type of thing, but not this pharaoh. He won't even give them a moment's break to worship and honor their God. He's so set against Yahweh. He's so rebellious and so tyrannical that we read here his reply in verses 4 to 9. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Go back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burden. So that same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose upon them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. No, let heavier work be laid on the men that they labor at it, and will pay no regard to lying words. So Pharaoh's reply here is, he will not let the people go. He will not even grant them a small reprieve to worship their God. In fact, his response is, I will increase your suffering, and the difficulties of your slave labor will be intensified. 
Pharaoh's response is harder work without even the resources to get the work done now. He's intending through this to crush their spirit and put a stop to their plans of going to worship their God. And to a large extent, what Pharaoh intends here is what happens. Verses 10 to 14 show it to be true. Verses 15 to 19, the Israelite foremans try to go and appeal to Pharaoh, asking for relief from this hardship, and they get rejected. Then in verses 20 and 21, the people begin to criticize Moses and Aaron and blame them for the hardship that they're now facing, this hardened labor without the resources they need, the suffering that they're now facing because of this. They blame Moses and Aaron. And Moses, after having seen everything God said would happen, come to pass perfectly, the Israelite people will believe, Pharaoh won't believe. That's exactly what's taking place here. You would think Moses would know, okay, Lord, this is exactly what you said. I trust you. I'm confident in your word. But instead, things are so devastating and so hard, and the feelings of reality, of the oppression that they are in in that moment, leads Moses back to his old habits, and he complains and he questions God yet again. Verses 22 and 23. Then Moses turned to Yahweh and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. You have not delivered your people at all. So again, we see in Moses, not this great pillar of faith, the message isn't be like Moses, the perfect leader of the people. Moses, up to this point, has been nothing but flawed and disobedient and struggling to live a life of faith. And here, that's what happens first, right? Moses didn't want to go at first. He had objections that he raised to God. Finally, when he does obey and he sees God do exactly what God says is going to happen, exactly things are going to go this way and they do, Moses swings right back into questioning and doubting God when things get really hard and difficult and they're painful, and Moses doesn't think this is the way it should be in my mind, so God, surely you must be wrong. So let's take these principles like we did last week, and we're going we're gonna to move them off of Moses and the people of Israel in Egypt, and we're going to put them right here on us because we're living out these exact same things in this exact same way today. This week, what, what we need to see is how even after we have begun to obey God, and many of us in this room, we have. We've heard God, as I said last week, call us by name. He knows us. He's called us to himself. He's given us this mission to be a part of, to share the gospel here. We've begun to obey him. We've started out with him. But there's a temptation and a danger of disappointment setting in when the divine timing is a little different than the timing we've come up with. Or the plan looks a little different than the plan we've come up with. Here's what we need to think about today. We need to understand this danger. Disappointment can lead to doubting and questioning God for every single one of us. No matter how strong you are in your faith, no matter how long you've walked with the Lord, there's a danger here that when disappointment comes, and disappointment will come to each one of us in seasons, in certain situations, disappointment will come, and the danger is for every one of us that it could lead to you and I doubting and questioning God. It certainly did for Moses, right? And it caused him to question God, distrust God in times of hardship because he thought, God, your plan should look different. Your timing should be different. The issue boils down to that. What I said a couple weeks ago is we need to realize God's timing is not our timing. Not just sometimes, most of the time, God's timing isn't our timing, right? 
Like, we don't ever want to suffer. That's never part of our plan. Like, okay, this will be the time here in 2021. I'd like to suffer these months, right? None of us have a plan for suffering, and none of us want the suffering when it comes to be very long. But often God's timing is different than ours. I mean, and, I mean, none of us want the type of growth and challenges that make us feel a little uncomfortable, that, that maybe look a little different because they start to expose the places of pride and preference that are in us, that drive us and motivate us more than submissive worship to God. We don't want God's leading to take us down a different path than the one we choose. If God has a different plan than the one we've come up with, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to serve you, and here's how I'd like to do that. And God says, nope, here's what I have for your life. We don't like that. It can get uncomfortable. We can get disappointed. God, I'm serving you, and, I, and this is how I'd want to do it, and this is when I want to do it, and you're telling me I've got to do this instead and at that other time. And disappointment can creep in. Because like his timing, God's plan is not always our plan. And that can disappoint us, and disappointment can lead to doubting, and it can lead to questioning. And so the question you and I need to ask, the thing we've got to wrestle through in our hearts is this. Where do we run when things get difficult or disappointing? Because they will for every single one of us. There will be times that are difficult and times where we are disappointed and the question is how are we going to respond? How are we going to answer this question? What are we going to do? So seven months ago, God took my family into a season that I always knew intellectually was possible, but I never really thought, honestly, we would walk through it personally. Back in November, we lost a baby to a miscarriage. And it was a total surprise and a total shock. It wasn't our plan. It certainly wasn't the timing we thought. We thought we were going in at the time where we were going to celebrate. It was the first doctor's appointment. It was all the joy and the excitement that comes with all of that. And we walk into that appointment, and there's no heartbeat. And the doctor looks at us through a mask, which made it even worse, and said, we've lost the baby. We're going to go to do imaging and, and confirm. And so we, we are immediately thrust into this very difficult and disappointing moment. And immediately what we had to decide in that doctor's office, and then every day following that was, are we going to go to God? Are we going to trust God in the difficulty and the disappointment or not? Are we going to go somewhere else, look for something else in these moments? And it wasn't just a day. Any of you have been through this. No, it's not just a day, and it's not just as long as a doctor's appointment takes that these things are difficult and disappointing. For us, it got compounded even further because we had so many medical complications come up and honestly got sick of hearing our doctor say, so this is a, a one in a 1,000 type of thing, but here's what we need to do or here's what we need to test for or we found this thing that we've got to look at. Right? That, we didn't like that at all. That's not, the, that's not the number you want to be, one in 1,000, for complications. And yet for weeks, that's what we had to do. And here, we went through doctor's appointments and testing, and we're sitting there waiting for results and then go on to the next thing and try to figure out what's our next step in all of this. What, what's this scenario going to play out? We're, we're talking about different ways this could go and all the possibilities that are before us, all while trying to mourn the loss of our baby. And at every step, we had to make the choice. Are we going to trust and go to God whose plan and timing is different than what we wanted? Or are we going to pull back and try to handle life on our own? And life wasn't perfect for any of you in that time. November and December were hard for us, and it wasn't any easier for several of you. 
And added to all the stuff that we were going through personally as a family there, while I was trying my best, it was very, very evident that what I've said is very true, and, and now maybe you have firsthand experience of that, but I'm not perfect, and I don't have enough power to be everything and do it all right. And so I know for a fact, I let some of you down in that time. I disappointed you in those difficult things that you were walking through in those months. And I carry a deep regret and a burden about that to this day. I didn't end in November or December. It wakes me up, even last night, wakes me up thinking about my failure, what I had not been able to do. And I have to keep figuring out day by day, night by night, Lord, how am I going to trust you and how am I going to come back to you to handle what I can't handle, to fix what I can't fix? Because it's difficult and there's disappointments and I'm not God, so I can't solve it all. So November and December, they're filled with all this disappointment and this grief and this hardship and that carries on to this very day. And listen, it's not just big things, right? This is heavy, right? All these big things that have brought disappointment. There's some other things that have come into our lives that brought a lot of disappointment too. So for me, compared to November, December, this isn't a huge deal, but, but there's real disappointment here. Pretty much as soon as we get kind of clear medically and all the appointments are starting to slow up and, and, and we're, we're hearing, okay, we think physically you're going to be fine and, and all of this type of stuff, I get COVID, right? And so I have to spend the last two weeks in December, two Sundays, I don't get to come to church. I don't get to do the, the candlelight service, which I love. I don't get to be with, with anybody. I get isolated up in this room all by myself all through Christmas week. So my family, my wife, my kids are opening presents and they're having all this fun. And, and I don't get to be a part of those things. I don't get to get the hugs. I, don't get, it's, I, I get to kind of sit in the corner and watch them have all the joy and all the celebration. And then I have to retreat back up to this room all by myself. Yeah, that's, that's disappointing. Right? And I lost my taste and smell. We're just, just being honest, like the, the disappointing part of this. Here, here this is, to a guy whose regular routine of life enjoy, in, is drinking a cup of tea at least one every single day, and I have on hand at any given moment like 40, 50 different types of tea in my house. For, for me, not having taste and not having smell, so my cup of tea is literally no different than a cup of just hot water before me. Like, that's really disappointing. <laughs> I spent years cultivating, I enjoy this tea, I can taste these different notes, and I got nothing now. Can't smell it, can't taste it. I drink it just because I, I want to. <laughs> just like, can you make me a cup of tea? And if she, sometimes if she brings me a thing and it's like white tea and she's taking the bag out, I'm like, I don't know, is that water or not? I can't tell. Like, there's disappointment there, right? And I know, listen, I know, COVID was a lot harder on a lot of other people. God has spared me. I don't have any lung complications or anything like that. So praise God. I, it's not been as difficult as it could have been for me, but nonetheless, it's still disappointing. And then after all of that stuff, we go through a second miscarriage in March. And further on top of all of that, what I've learned over the last several months is there's been a lot of issues simmering in the background. A lot of things that I honestly had no idea were happening all came to light all at once. So I was learning there were a lot of assumptions being made that weren't accurate, but I had no knowledge of. There were feelings that were being held on to that no one had shared with me. There were conversations and questions taking place, but I wasn't being brought into them, so they were just happening without the proper information, without the right responses being given. I was just in the dark until what it felt like to me was suddenly a light from a train in a tunnel about to run me over just suddenly showed up. And look, I'm just, I'm being open and honest with you because I say that we should all be that way when we come in here, right? 
So I mean that, and I demonstrate that to you, and I open my heart to you in these things. This last year, especially these last seven months, they've been really difficult, and they've been really disappointing in a whole variety of ways. And so the question that I have had in the midst of all of it, the question that I'm trying to answer rightly every time it comes up, and sometimes that's multiple times a day or in the middle of the night, the question is always, what am I going to do when things are difficult and disappointing? And the answer, of course, is we're gonna, we should turn to God. right? We should believe in the gospel. We should give to the one who died for me. I should give him all of these burdens. I should rely upon the one who is God and Savior and Deliverer and the sovereign one who's in charge of all things, whose plan and timing is never, with, uh, is never wrong, is never changed because he couldn't control it. No, he's the God over all of it. I should trust him. I should go to him in faith. But we don't always perfectly do that because it's not easy, right? I mean, is it just me? You're like, no, it's super easy, Pastor. It's great. I handle all of it. No, it's not for any of us. And the text in Exodus chapter 5, again, this is just God's providence. This is what amazes me, how the Holy Spirit will lead. So I, I plan things out, and the Holy Spirit's involved in all the planning, right? So I'm praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I'm looking weeks ahead of time going, Lord, what texts? And I'm trying to put those down. And what's amazing is God puts the right text on the right date that I have no idea that text needs to be on that date because I'm not God and I can't see that. And then week by week, as they get closer and things become more apparent, I'm praying, okay, Lord, so we, we made plans, and do you have a different plan now? Right? New things have come up that I didn't know about as I was planning. Do I need to change things? So every single Sunday, my wife will tell you, I get up 5 a.m. every single Sunday morning to pray, to adjust the sermon, to go over the service, to pray, Lord, whatever you want to do in this way. I had a plan months ago for this day, but Lord, if it's different today, lead me, show me that, and I do it. I rewrite things. I did this morning, rewrote a big bulk of this message <laughs> because the, the Lord was telling me this is what we need to do today. And it's amazing to me because it comes out of this text because what we see in this text is it's all about this, the anatomy of how people respond to disappointment. And there's a lot of disappointment right now. And the text in Exodus 5 shows us the way people answer that question is often the wrong way and the way we often respond to it is that disappointment often leads to trying to take matters into our own hands. That's what the Israelites did. When the foremen go to Pharaoh and they ask him to relieve their difficulties and help them take the burdens off of them in verses 15 to 19, what they're doing is they're trying to solve the problem all by themselves. They're running back to the natural solution. What feels right to me is to go get help over here from what I know from the Pharaoh who's over us, from the things I can see instead of living in faith and trusting God and waiting upon him to fulfill his word. God said, I will deliver you. I've come to rescue you. And they go, eh, it's taking too long. Let me go help God. Let me be God and take care of this. And we're tempted to do the exact same thing today. Every single one of us. We try to alleviate our difficulties just like they did. They ran to the one who was making life difficult for them and asked him to fix it. And you and I, we run to the things that make our life difficult and disappointing, the sins that hold us captive, and we ask them to fix it. Like, search your heart. If you're honest, you know that some of these, maybe all of these, are true for you at various times. We run back to our anger, and we lash out at those around us to try and fix it. We run back to our pride and assume, well, the issue is I knew better, and everybody should have asked me or done what I said. We run back to lust, and we go engage in something that's self-gratifying, so we feel good about ourselves in a moment. 
We run back to gossip and we speak against others because if we can tear them down, then we can feel better about ourselves. We run back to idolatry and we seek lesser things. We find TV or social media or alcohol or some other external thing that will calm down the pain and the suffering that I'm feeling. I won't have to worry about it so much for this amount of time. And so I'm going to go to that to help me numb the discomfort and the difficulty. We run back to our selfishness. And we lean into our preferences and our feelings instead of submitting to God and worshiping him as he leads us to new things that sometimes are difficult and some things are disappointing. And all that we're doing when we do that is proving that we are just like the Israelites who are acting like they are still slaves, even though God has said, I've come to set you free. Look at verse 15. When the Israelite foremen show up to Pharaoh, this is how, they, this is how they, ask, they speak to him. Why do you treat your servants like this? Like they're identifying and acting as if that's the slave of Pharaoh. That's who they are. That's their identity. But that's not who they're supposed to be anymore. God's come to deliver them. He's come to free them. His promise is clear. They heard it. They believed it. They worshipped him for it. And yet here they are with difficulties and disappointments. They run right back to Pharaoh. They distrust and disobey God. And they begin to identify by the things they can see and feel. It sure feels like we're slaves. It sure feels like we're never getting out of Egypt. So let's go to Egypt's leader and see if we can just make it a little bit better. Christian, you and I in this room, we are freed from all of the sinful things that we naturally run back to. They don't have to define us. They don't have to divide us. They don't have to distract us from the mission, from the unity that God has called us to have. But we have to live like the freeing, saving grace of God is real and true and is personal to us. Like that promise of God is for you and I. Christ came to set us free and to make us members of his kingdom not defined by the slavery we once were captive to, but his, changed by him. The gospel includes the fact that the one we are saved by endured difficulties and disappointments for us. And we're not saved by what we do, by what we accomplish, by how good or bad our life is, or how perfectly we handle things. We're saved by going back to him and trusting him, the one who has said, I've come in grace and mercy to rescue you, to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness that you are in naturally to the kingdom of light. So we're called to live and act now like citizens of the kingdom of God and members of his family together. Which means the response when we face difficulties and disappointments is that you and I would learn to put to death our sinful responses, our sinful nature to difficulties, and we would come alive in godliness. We would respond differently. We would act differently we wouldn't run back to idols to save us. We'd go directly to our God for help and freedom. We wouldn't let anger seethe in us, but we would lay that down and we would put on love instead. We wouldn't live in pride, but we would humbly engage with one another honestly. We wouldn't gossip, but we would go talk to one another directly. We wouldn't speculate or spread rumors, but we would pursue and speak the truth. We wouldn't let fear or resentment or bitterness or disappointment grow in us. Instead, we'd put those things to death so we can come alive in faith and trust and love as God calls us to be. See, everyone in Exodus 5 was disappointed, and they handled the difficulties poorly, which gives us the final warning for today, the final warning for every single one of us. Disappointment 
can disrupt unity and destroy relationships among God's people. Look at the text. The the people have become divided. They lash out at Moses and Aaron. They blame them for their difficulties. They excuse their own sinful response of running back to Pharaoh, asking him to save him to relieve, and instead they accuse Moses and Aaron of doing wrong to them. So my heart, my deep, deep longing is that you and I would be people who would bow our heads and worship God like the initial response of the Israelites was, but that you and I would stay there. That the trust and, and grace that that gives to us, that that's where we would stay. We would work together alongside our incredible God, who's freed us and called us to be part of his kingdom and his family together. Instead of dividing, we would see we are unified in Christ. The enemy's not in the room. It's not in the people around us. He's outside of us. We have a spiritual battle to fight. And so I'm praying that God would, by his grace, keep us unified and worshipful, and that the disappointments that enter into our lives, and they do every single one of us, but I pray that God, by his grace, would not let them distract us or divide us the way it did Israel in in chapter 5 of Exodus. I truly do believe God's doing great things here because God has promised he's doing great things here. I believe he has been doing great things this last year despite all the setbacks and all the struggles and all the losses that have been endured. And despite the fact the last seven months they have been so difficult and draining for me and for my family and they've been disappointing to some of you in this room and difficult in other ways too. But God's still been at work in doing great things that deserves our worship. And I believe God's done great things throughout the entire nearly three years that I've been here. I've been privileged to lead and serve as the pastor here. And not everything has gone as I wish it would have gone. There's been mistakes that have been made that I've made. There's been difficulties that have been presented that I certainly wish weren't. And the enemy, I believe, I know, has certainly worked really hard to try and distract and destroy and plant distrust. But God's plan has still unfolded in the last three years if you look at where we were and where God has us now. He's been working in great ways and that's still worthy of worship. I believe God's done great things for the 95 years this church existed before I ever knew where Nelsonville was. And I believe God is going to do great things in the years to come, in the decades to come. And should he stay away that long and not return before then, I believe God has great plans for generations to follow after all of us are dead and gone. And I want us to believe him and I want us to trust him and I want us to follow him into all that he has for us. So worship team, if you'll come, prepare to lead us in our final song this morning. I, I hope you believe me and if you don't, I, I hope you'll, you'll do whatever it takes to, to get to the place where you would believe me in these words that are true. I love you all. And I love this church. And I love the God who has called me here and I am striving imperfectly as we all are but to follow his leading for us in this place, to live in faith and trust, to be part of his great work. So my hope and prayer today is that all of us would learn from the failures of Israel, from the examples of how they poorly responded to the reality that God's timing is not our timing, God's plans are not always our plans, and the reality is we will face difficulties and disappointments in this life and our days here too. And I'm so sincerely desiring God would draw us together, not apart. That we would worship and not worry or waver in our trust or obedience to him. 
So let's take just a few moments to worship our God, to ask him to grow us in our trust of him, our commitment to follow him, that he would give us the gift of grace that we would come together in love and support and commitment to one another in this place. If it's still the same plan as we had, it's a simple song. And you're gonna know the song and it's gonna be sung with simple faith today. So take a few moments to respond to the Lord. And I'll explain what we're doing next, but don't, don't rush past. God's here, and we have a response to offer to him. Let's worship.